I got it. You know, I'm here. You can talk to me. You need to talk to me. Give me this stuff. Good luck suturing those with that bum arm. I'm assuming the plan is to go after Billy Russo and kill him, am I right? Charge back into the city where every cop in town wants to blow your head off. One man wild bunch. Give me that needle. Frank, please. Whatever happens next, let me at least stitch these holes up. Come on. Hey. Please. Thank you. Hey everybody, welcome back to Panels to Pixels. Here we are yet again with the Punisher. We're doing episode eleven, Danger Close. Uh my co host tonight is still Steve Brown. Thank you. Good for evening. <laughs> Good evening, everybody. <laughs> so Steve, uh segue us into what this whole uh, episode was about. Uh it it's very action packed, that's for sure. Heck yeah, definitely that last twenty minutes. I, I was just I, we were just talking about. It. I was just watching and I realized that, that that last scene is about twenty minutes long. It's from about if I if I read the numbers correctly, it's from about uh, the thirty two minute mark to almost the end of the uh, the episode. So maybe a little less than twenty minutes, but probably a seventeen eighteen minute uh, action sequence. That's really good. Um, but so so I loved the episode overall. I thought it was it was really good. Um, at at first, it's a little confusing at first because we think Frank may be spiraling into this depression. Because I really loved what uh, Avellino said on the last the last discussion we had. We talked about all the betrayal, and uh, so as I started this episode, I realized that we're watching Frank's kind of his watching his face and the emotion that he's going through because he feels that he's betrayed by Micro. Because Micro went to Madani alone. Madani was betrayed by Russo. Uh, Micro's family feels betrayed uh, by Pete. Um, and so we get all that in the very first you know, few minutes of this episode. We see all these different betrayals. And we see betrayal takes on a different character when the person realizes they're being betrayed. And, and one of the things that I realized was that some of these people didn't realize they were being betrayed until all of a sudden it's flipped on its head. And this episode does a really good job of bringing that back. And it, it brings a, a great job of, of we see we see Micro reunite with his daughter. And she has that innocence of the child of just accepting him back. Um, we don't know yet how his wife and son are going to feel about it. But uh, that'll be down the road. But we see, we also see Frank, and he kind of turns that betrayal of Micro around and kind of forgives him because at the very end of the episode, he's the one who brings Madani in and goes, "Okay, we're going to bring all this together." Um, so I really like that that idea of we saw some more of that 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 theme of betrayal that's been running through 
the season, but we got to see some of it get completed, some of it get forgiven in that. Um, we we find out that, um, well, go ahead. What do you think about that with the betrayal thing? Well, yeah, I, I really think that everybody's on their edge at that point because after last episode, everything was thrown on its heels. Uh, Frank thinks that Micro, yeah, is is trying to confuse him in some certain ways. <laughs> yeah, and and on top of that, you know, uh, what Madani she already confronted Billy in the last episode, and now we're starting to see everything come through, and everybody question everything. Uh. And at this time, too, uh, we do see, in this episode, we do see uh, Micro reach out to his own family, uh, which he actually comes out of his, out of his little shadow and uh, see his daughter at some point, too. So he actually exposes himself at some point. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny you say that because um, I was just looking up, but before, before we started the call, I was looking up to remember where the quote was from, from Ghostbusters 2, when Bill Murray says, that you don't want us exposing ourselves. That's where I thought about. Um, I don't know why my head went to that quote during this episode several times, but that's where it, where it went. It went to. Um, yeah, we, we, see, we see that. We also get to learn a little bit more about Director James, the, the CIA or about to be appointed director of the CIA, yeah. uh, James. And we get to learn a little bit more about her character. And, and when we get into the top five, I'm going to talk a lot about her but we see her a lot in this episode because we we see and, and there was an interesting scene right there at the beginning with with billy when madonna brings him in to the office to kind of interview him and she says you don't have a lawyer and he says well only guilty people need a lawyer and then then a few minutes later he says aren't you supposed to mirandize me or something like that. And she's like, well, no, only if I'm going to arrest you. And I'm like, he just, you already asked if he wanted a lawyer when he came in. That already implies that there's something, something wrong. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, just the fact that you asked him why he doesn't have a lawyer. Um, I, I like that we we get to see now whether, and you and I had this discussion about their relationship all through this season. And whether or not he was the relationship was all building to this point or not, which I don't think so. I think he's literally using the, the relationship for the best advantage he can get, which is he's going to be able to throw this conflict of interest in there because he looks straight at the camera and says, we had multiple sexual encounters in that bed, you know? (laughs) And um, so (laughs) there's, there's just no question that he's making sure that everything's being recorded yeah, uh, and and then again, as I rewatched that interview today, almost everything he says is laced with a double meaning. Uh, to the point, even when when she turns off the camera, he says, "What you think? I don't know. This room is bugged," and it's kind of like a slap in her face. In that now, she knows that he knew her office was bugged, but she can't just come right out and say that. And it's it's really there's all the double meanings in what he said during that interview that I thought was was brilliantly uh, uh, written. Yeah, especially since you think that 
he's bugging her, and he knows that the bugs are there, and they're being recorded all the time. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's yeah. the funniest thing. It's just like, okay, you do know I know your place is bugged. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, See, so a couple other big things that happen in this uh, in this episode. Uh, we get Micro's uh, wife and son are kidnapped. And I, and I have to admit also, this is one of, one of those scenes I had to run back a couple of times. The the first guy comes in, and he's obviously in a NYPD uniform, whether he's a real cop or not. Um, he's in an NYPD uniform. And I thought the other guy, originally when I watched the episode, I thought he was in an Anvil uniform. But it turns out, no, he had an NYPD on his hat as well. So they were definitely pretending to be police officers coming to her door. And so if any any um, people is, is – if anyone is uh, interviewed after her kidnapping, she's just going to say, oh, you know, any witnesses will say, oh, the police took her away. You know, they won't go, oh, Anvil took her away. Yeah. So it's – it's that's an, that was seemed an interesting uh, twist to me. Um, but did that guy, the first guy, like – there was no bit of him that made me believe he was really a police officer. Like no. from the moment he walked in the room, just the way he was talking, the way his uniform fit, it just didn't he, – he didn't feel right to me. And obviously he didn't feel right to Micro's wife either. But it just – it was just a, seemed a very ill-fitting kind of thing. Like it's it's a ruse, but it's not it's not a ruse that anybody's going to be able to see – Somebody, if they do a little bit of digging, they're gonna they're gonna see beneath it, kind of. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, he, he was not really showing sort of command presence when he was there. No, he wasn't. His jacket's like halfway off, almost like it's it's like sl- slipping down on his shoulders, and it just was a it was a weird vibe that he gave, kind of just slinking in there, like you. Um, <laughs> I'm also kind of surprised that they didn't search the house you know maybe it was just because it was the two of them and they had two victims that they didn't have time to search the house they just took her at her word that the daughter was uh was out uh, i thought that was a little interesting that it was just the two of them you know by themselves that that came to the house um maybe some of that is because they were just following up on a tip they didn't really know well no at the same time because rollins says to or Russo asked Rollins later well they had that conversation about Lieberman right and they say and he yeah. says well you didn't know Lieberman was alive and that's what one of them says well Wolf told uh, told me that he was dead so uh it just it was interesting they didn't bring more people to that house uh knowing what the circumstances were but I guess if they thought Lieberman was dead there really isn't Except for leverage on Frank, there's not much leverage they can get with his family. Um, and then, of course, the the biggest thing we get at the end of this episode, we get the return of the Punisher persona. We we get the scene of Frank spray painting the the vest with the skull uh, logo, and uh, I love that conversation with with Micro where he says, "Well, the, you know what that means." Don't you? They're going to see you coming. And he says, well, I want them to see me coming. Yeah. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. Did you ever – do you ever remember from the 80s the Frank Miller uh, Dark Knight Returns? 
Oh yeah, I have that. There's there's a panel in there or a couple of panels in there when he's talking to I think he's talking to the Robin girl and he and she asks something about why he always wore that that yellow uh and you know the yellow and black logo on his chest and we we reveal we find out that that's the only spot or he's wearing he had a bulletproof vest on as well and so he always he said that gave them something to aim at. They didn't aim at the rest of his body, and that's why he was able to wear suits that weren't necessarily bulletproof over his whole body. So I thought that was kind of an interesting take on that same kind of concept of he's giving them something to aim at with that white skull, knowing that their bullets aren't going to penetrate it. Hmm. So I, I, that was – and I remember one time reading – and I, I can't remember if it was a comic book or a book – reading about how a lot of times in, in war – the, the black paint on the face is not as much camouflage as it is to strike fear into the heart of the enemy. Yeah. You know, when they have this person with their face all painted up coming at them. Uh, so I, I thought that was all interesting. Um, what Am I missing anything? Is, uh, no, you, 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 you briefed it up pretty quick and uh, summarized it very well. Uh, you, know, you know, it's... Yeah, that whole ending scene, as you said before, it was what almost twenty minutes long. And yeah, it's a. <laughs> to me, that was like the best part of this whole episode, and it summed up a lot because it literally showed him embracing the idea of being the Punisher. Exactly, exactly, yeah. and it's juxtaposed with with that scene in Kandahar, where in the episode Kandahar, where he goes into that building, uh, without the without the music. We really have a very similar kind of scene to where we have him in the, the Kandahar building. He's going in and he's meticulously picking out and killing these guys one by one or sometimes two on one. And then the same thing here. He's picking these guys apart one at a time. Only he's defending his own building this time, his own uh, hideout. So, Yeah, but in this, in this instance, he actually is not hesitating. If you look at the actual scene itself in comparison to, to the actual Kandahar episode, you you see him breathing and taking a time, and there was that music at that time. Uh, we talked about it earlier at a, right. a previous podcast. But he was taking his time, and it was him breathing in and trying to you know, take in everything that's going on in that moment. And okay. in it, and in this one, he's very much meticulous. He's pinpointing, knowing who to strike, who to hit, and he it it's relentless. It's yes, he is protecting what you know he has there because it's him, it's his and Micro's area. It's their home, and he's trying to protect it as best he can and try to keep the secrecy of it. And on top of that. He he's literally trying to figure out which one of you is Billy, because he yeah. knows that's exactly who is engaging this. And he goes, "Where's Billy?" <laughs> I thought that was really I thought that was really interesting because he really he he doesn't he doesn't pull any punches really until he gets to about the last three or four guys when he's trying to question them. Once he figures out that he that uh, you know he's he he just he's very swift in his killing. 
Oh yeah. He's shooting guys in the head. He's he's garroting guys. He's breaking their necks. He's doing all these different things. And then when he when he tortures the one guy at the end, and uh, or kind of tortures him with asking him where Russo is, where the girl and the and the boy are, and he can't tell him. And uh, Frank just kind of says, "Okay, fair enough," and shoots him. You know. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, yeah, once he figures out that that Russo's not there. He uh, he has that uh, he just uh, gets him on the phone then and I, that was another one of those scenes that I, I wanted to get a chance to rewatch it but he he calls he calls the phone and I'm assuming he's using um, I, he didn't grab the phone that was tracked I think he grabbed one of the soldiers' phones yeah because that it was that was uh, so he called Billy back kind of using maybe a redial or something on that guy's phone and he doesn't even say anything and Russo knows. That it's him, and he just kind of says, you know, Frank, and then Frank says, well, you know, the Russo I knew would have come himself, and and Billy's like, no, no, I have people to do that for me now, um, which is is kind of a shows us how duplicitous he was being when he was being interviewed, because remember when he was being interviewed by the reporter, she said, what would you say to him? If you could talk to him right now and he says, what happened to you, Frank? Knowing everything he's saying is a lie, knowing that he just wants to kill Frank. Um, hmm. Yeah. So I, I thought that was that was really interesting. And then uh, uh, so I think that brings us to our top five. What's your number five? My number five, we kind of already talked a little bit about her, but I want to want to say a few things. Was Marion James? I think is her last name. This this agency woman. Um, I, I love the conversation she has with Rollins on the the water, where he keeps saying we and us, and she's like, no, no, there is no us. There's only me and you, or you know, you're. And it really seems she seems to be at least. And, and I, this is the way I wrote it in my notes. She seems to be at least on the better side, maybe not on good, okay, <laughs> maybe not good, uh, but her, uh, she's definitely wanting to be better. She wants to be, she talks about how she doesn't get panic attacks when she's honest. And um, so, but then she has that conversation and she realizes that Madani and Rafi know everything about Kandahar. And so she's suddenly seeing that there's no there's no upside to this, that Rollins is – and we see that in her final conversation with Rollins as well, that where she says, once this is over, you're done. You're going to resign because I can't have you in my CIA. She still sees herself as being able to come out of this kind of clean, I guess, yeah. and – uh, Rollins is willing to betray Russo for her, and I, I love the line that she gives to Madani. And as I rewatched it tonight, I kind of wonder if I have it if I if I have it ordered wrong. But she said, "Personal feelings are the first casualty of serving your country." And the originally way I heard the line delivered was, "They're the first casualty of serving your country well." Okay, as in. If you're going to serve your country well, you're going to have to put your personal feelings aside. But then as I listen to it again tonight, there's a beat after she says country. 
So maybe her well was the fact that she's got to go to the UN. So it, it may be more better delivered. Personal feelings are the first casualty of serving your country. Yeah. That, well, that I've got to go. Right. Well, I've got to go to the UP, UN now. You know, uh, and and uh, I, I thought that was interesting that I hadn't picked up on that uh, until tonight. So I'm not sure how that line was supposed to be delivered. If there's supposed to be a beat there, if it's the same uh, same statement or not. But it's it still is an interesting thought that she's saying in this in this business of being spies. Because remember, I, I said that last time that Madani is very black and white mm-hmm. in her way of looking at this, and and the this uh, Marion James seems more. Definitely in that gray area of well, we want to keep the agency clean, but we're gonna you know try to get these guys, make them have the consequences for their actions. So yeah, so yeah, um, and then yeah, and that's that's all I had was that the the scene at the end kind of confirms that she she at least wants to be on the right side of things or the good side of things, you know, even though she wants the agency to still be clean, she wants. The the she wants our foreign policy to stay stable and not be destabilized as as Rollins and she and it's funny that she makes that comment to Rafi and Madani that well if this if the Kandahar stuff comes out it, our our foreign relations are going to suffer and Rollins uses almost that same language to her when she's wanting to turn it on him you know that he says well our foreign foreign relations will suffer if this comes out. Yeah. So, uh, what was your number? Go ahead. No, no, it brings us to my number five, yeah. which uh, my number five starts at the very beginning. Uh, if you look at Frank when he first comes in, he comes into uh, him and Micro's hideout, and uh, Frank's falling apart, and Micro's trying to help him, and it's one of those things where Frank doesn't know who to trust, what to think, or what to think of Micro at that point. And uh, he still has to lend himself to Micro to help him get healed and do what he needs to. And Micro is trying to calm him down. And it's like the hardest thing to watch because it's like looking at somebody who's so, you know, adrenaline-fueled and they just want to destroy at that yeah, point exactly yeah. and and it was like it was one of those eye catchers because you don't know what's going through frank's mind and all you know is micro is like well i need to help you i can't help you if you don't talk to me and frank doesn't really want to talk yeah and and frank micro still sees that there's a way to 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 get out of this micro to micro's respect he still thinks Nothing. In fact, and that's exactly what he says. Is he says, "Well, nothing has changed," and Frank says, "Everything has changed." Yeah. And I, I think what Frank is is meaning in that, in what he's saying there, is that he he really trusted Billy. He really thought he still had some family out there. Yeah. That wasn't Micro or Karen. And losing that means and, – and also feeling betrayed by Micro, he feels he's lost that family again. And he picks up the picture, and that was a picture of his wife and kids, right, that he picked up? Yes. Okay. He picks up the picture, and he realizes that, that Micro still has something out there, but he doesn't. And he's even more deeper into this depression 
And and this kind of goes directly into my number four, which is Frank. Um, and it's that that fact that he's ready to just go charge into the breach. And and even Micro says, you want to go back to the city where all the cops are looking for you and they want to kill you just so you can kill Russo. And he's he's ready to do that until he sees the TV monitors and finds out that Micro's family has been taken. And it's almost like Frank now gets a mission. He he. He had lost a mission, or he lost the mission because he had nothing to gain, and now suddenly he has a mission again. Micro's family has been taken. I need to protect his family. Mm. And his his whole uh, mental state kind of changes. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so I, I thought that was really, really cool. And... Um, so yeah, so that was my number four. Was was kind of the same thing as with your was that just Frank himself, and again going back to that Frank and Micro kind of relationship that uh, you know even though it gets a little bit strained, it it comes back. It it gets pulled back right away by having that common goal of retrieving his family, especially once Frank realizes, or I think Micro says it first, or one of them. I think it actually is Frank who says, you know, where's Leo? Where's your daughter? And suddenly even Micro realizes, wait, my daughter's not being taken. So we need to figure out where she is. So, so I, I thought that was, that was really cool um, of Frank to, to realize that and then want to make that connection, want Micro to make that connection with his daughter. And he says, you've got to call her. And then, of course, Micro says, no, I can't. You've got to, I can't call her. So, but that was, that was an interesting, it was interesting. It was a very switch. It was a very quick switch for Frank, but it makes sense. It's not a, it's not an unheard of switch for him to go from this, this deep depression of ready to kill everybody to suddenly now I have somebody to protect. Yeah, definitely. So that was my number. What was your number four? Uh, my number four would be, uh, well, Dep- Deputy Director James, her being brought in, you know, that that character was talked about before in previous episodes, uh, but the thing is, is we've never really seen her. Now she's become very prominent based upon the investigation of what's going on, and she's just trying to get down to the nitty-gritty of what's going on within this whole thing. It's just, I don't know, it's like, there's only so much we know of her. Mm-hmm. But where does she fit in this puzzle? And I still, I am still puzzled about this. <laughs> well, we, we we did get, and whether it was, I can't remember if it was on the phone or if it was in person, but it was around epi- episode like four or five. I know it was after Kandahar that uh, it's when actually it must be episode four because, or right when we're when we're introduced to Rollins because that's when when we meet her and that's when she says. The thing to him that she talked about in this episode where she says, is there anything on you that could cause a, a problem with this appointment of, of him being – because remember, she's going to be appointed as director of the CIA, and he's going to be 
like assistant director or something like that. He's yeah. he's already been head of covert ops, and she asks him that question because she gives him the medal and asks him that question: Is there anything that's going to come back on me? Um, and that was another one of those things that, that you kind of have to wonder about. Like I said, with, with like I I agree with your assessment of not understanding her character a little bit because him be the fact that he is head of covert ops. It's it's kind of like I don't know much about the Harry Potter world, but it's kind of like if you're the the teacher of protection against the black arts, that means you know the black arts. <laughs> exactly. Okay? So if you're the head of covert ops, that means you're involved in some shady stuff. Okay. Yeah. You should know better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So 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 her asking him that question almost he should be able to go, ma'am, you you obviously know there's gonna be something. And when he comes clean to her or kind of comes clean to her about what's uh, what's happened, what's what's in Kandahar, they had come back on him. And then when she goes and meets with Rafi and Madani, and Madani just lays the whole thing out for her, not only knowing Rollins' name, but knowing that they were they were trafficking in drugs, knowing that they were throwing some torture in there uh, for good measure or something like that, that she says. And then she talks about the execution of uh, Abu Zaire, you know, her asset there in in Kandahar. So, um, yeah, James is a, an interesting character, and it's it's. I wonder if we're going to see much of her going forward. I, I assume we're going to have to see some more of her, but uh, she she does she does draw some uh, quizzical lines, I guess, some quizzical thoughts about exactly where is she coming from. Yeah, definitely. Um, where are we at? You're number three. My number three. My number three is, I kind of mentioned it a little bit already, but it was Micro's reunion with his daughter. And just that that uh, innocence of the child that we, we she doesn't, she's not all of a sudden suspicious. She's not suddenly slapping him in the face or asking him a bunch of questions all she sees is her daddy and i I really liked that when she's kind of hiding and expecting to see uh you know she still calls yeah frank she still calls him pete at that point yes uh, and and, uh he says no listen to my voice it's It's daddy Daddy. yep yeah uh i love that actually i have to admit this is my number three as well Nice. I, 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 you know, I, I, I was gonna say I, I, I listen to a, a lot of other podcasts, and, uh, and sometimes I get a little upset when they always match when they're like have the same similar things. But ours, we have enough different things that it's okay. The occasional times that we match, match up is, is, is okay. Uh, but yeah, that whole just her, and then when, when they're in the van waiting for Frank, and they just go into that very easy rhythm. You know, he turns off the radio and she says, Oh no, I like that song. We, we actually made up a little dance to it. And he goes, Oh, I know you dance great. And she's like, well, how do you know? Uh, And, and I just, just love that, that kind of interplay back and forth uh, between them. I thought it was written very well and acted very well by the, the two actors there. Uh, Just that, just that idea of, of a daughter, not, not questioning, not not having any resentment toward toward him. I, I think we're going to get some of that later because his son is kind of uh, maybe, but we'll have to see 
what the kidnapping kind of that changes their attitude or what. But uh, I, that reunion was was definitely great. Um, yeah, I, I always felt it. Yeah, so everybody, that was my number three as well, and I always thought it was very sweet that uh, you know uh, her expecting to see Frank who. Like like Steve was saying, what she thought it was Pete, and he goes, "No, it's Daddy. Come on out. You hear my voice." And she comes out, gives her a big hug and embrace. And it's the one thing that you would think is like, you know, this kid's gonna question it, and she doesn't. She just goes right to him, knowing that that's her father. And then they have, like, what you were saying, Steve, before is like there there was like a a trade off. When they were in the car and uh, with the music and everything else, but it was kind of one of those sweet moments where she is accepting, and like you said before, where the son might not be so much. Yeah, yeah, and and it's even when even earlier when Frank gives her the direction about the phone, I, I thought that was another interesting thing that that uh, she follows direction she followed directions very easily everything that frank told her pete told her to do she just did it and and we see that that kind of face value of she still believes no matter what the tv says about either her father or frank and, and i take that as as even going back to a year ago when she was getting when they, all these news reports about her father were coming out i bet she didn't believe them then either and so she can't believe these things about Pete Frank. You know, yeah. she asks her mom, do you think Pete really did these things? And uh, so when Frank calls her on the phone and says, tells her what to do, tells her to take the phone apart, throw the battery one direction, the phone another direction, and then meet at this park, she just does it. Uh, just on that blind faith of believing that that, that he is uh, genuine. And I, I really, I just liked that, uh, that idea. Yeah. Uh, so I guess that brings us to our number twos. Yes. Um, and I had uh, again, I had I had Russo on this as my number my number two because we see a lot. We've we've seen inklings of the sociopath. We've seen inklings of him being able to lie. We've seen inklings of that. But in this episode, we really see all of it kind of come together. We see him set in that room with Madonna at the, at the beginning. And very well, first off, we first see him on the TV being interviewed and making those statements about Frank. And we know they're patently false. But obviously, you know, that's not what the, the impression of the audience is going to be, the, the yeah. TV audience there. And then we see him with Madonna and we see him making those statements and saying those things and, and basically telling her she's got no proof of anything. That, But yet, like I said before, everything he says is kind of laced with a double meaning, even when he said, well, I was there to pick up you, you know. Yeah. Um, that that kind of thing that there's that that kind of a side of yeah I was there oh I was there to pick you up though I wasn't there killing people you know um, and then then the whole thing about the bugging and and just 
everything is has a kind of a double kind of meaning. We see that, and then when he's talking to Rollins, and and Rollins says, "I've got his location. You're going to go there, and you're going to kill him." And Roos is like, "I'm not going there," you know. He's, "I'm going to send my guys there, um, but I'm not going there." Um, it's like, and, I'm not uh, going to war. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not. I'm done with that, you know. Um, well, even that point where when. Uh, um, they were when he was talking to Madani again. She says something about you were involved in all that that stuff that happened in Kandahar, and he's like, "Well, you you got my military records. You can see I was never in Kandahar." Uh, well, again, we and we know that that's completely false, and Donnie knows that's completely false because she knows Frank was in Kandahar, and she know you know what I'm saying so she, but she can't prove any of it exactly. Uh, so I, I thought that was really good. Um, let me see if I've got anything else. Uh, he sent his guys in there, and then uh, he, it turned out to be a trap. Um, and then, of course, at the end, he's uh, he's walking around in there, and we we cut with him with there being eighteen hours on the clock, and he obviously doesn't know what that countdowns going to going to produce we know that what if that's the same countdown that that micro had earlier that at the end of that countdown that tape goes out to the press and to uh, everybody in there and the world is going to see the this america these this american team torturing and, and murdering this this uh uh afghan guy so um yeah. But he doesn't know that, and uh, he still hasn't figured that out. So, nope. Uh, that would be my number two. Yes, sir. Uh, well, honestly, it goes it, it goes back to actually Frank actually talking to Micro's daughter, you know, giving her everything like the phone and giving her the information, showing trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, to me that was kind of touching in a sense where she trusted Frank a- as Pete. And uh, and then eventually it leading her to micro in some way. Uh, to me, honestly, that that was like a touching scene in a sense where it's like it's showing a kid's acceptance of one, you know the person that's trying to protect them. So right. you don't really see that much nowadays. You know, usually kids are running away from yeah. anybody that's trying to protect them, and in some way, usually they're rebelling. Yeah, but, yeah. To me, that that was really. Uh, that was really well done. That that scene itself. Very good. Very good. Um, my number one is uh, Frank's uh, preparation for the attack. When when he realized, and it, it's it's really it's interesting, and it kind of plays into one of my notes as well. Is it, it it seems to me a little bit maybe just because Lieberman was so sure that no one knew he was alive that he went ahead and gave. And that Frank had a cell phone that could be tracked, or that had a number that could be tracked. You, you would think, with all of of his of all of Micro's precautions and all of his computer things that he can do, that he would be able to give give his wife a number that she could call that wouldn't necessarily go directly to the actual physical phone that Frank had. Mm. Uh, but yet he says, oh, no, she's got my number. They can track the phone. They're going to know about this place right now. Like he's in, and he's already he's prepping the place. We see him putting explosives into light bulbs 
and he's putting the shotgun up in the like up in the pipes where he can grab it. Um, he he hides that. I I love um, the the gun that he pulls out of the the styrofoam peanuts is uh, called a squad automatic weapon. It's a uh, it's basically a, a one man. It's a a smaller version of like what the Rambo gun was that was was used by Sylvester Stallone. It's it's a it's a belt fed smaller caliber uh, squad weapon, but it's it's a a one man weapon that can be used uh, to attack. And uh, so I loved seeing all those preps and then seeing him use that those different weapons in those different ways during his attack, uh, even to the point where when he when he set the explosives. Uh, he thought Russo might be there, but he realized he wasn't, but he was still going to blow these guys up. Uh, and then also all the traps and all the explosives and all the things that he set, none of it affected that computer room. That, you know, <laughs> to the point of when he, when he's got the guy's head, he's got the grenade in the guy's head, he throws it and he, and that leads those those guys out of the computer room where because remember he was the guy was standing in front of the computers when he was talking on the phone with russo and then russo tells him it's a trap we see frank throw the head and the guy walks out of that room into the other room and that's where the explosives go off so frank was very particular to make sure that room was protected and i i thought that was just that that whole idea of, of prepping the, the the building getting it ready and putting all the different things in a, in place for him to, to do his defense was uh, was really good yeah well my number one was basically just Frank donning the Punisher vest <laughs> oh I know <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm sorry but th- this is what we all wanted to see and you know it's the opening uh you know theme and when you see you see the skull and you see that on his vest but you know throughout this you actually see that vest get shot with bullets and it it, it gets marred and everything else and you you see it as plain as day and the last time we i think we ever saw that was in the first episode uh, yeah when he burned it yeah yeah and or he burned uh, the shirt i can't remember how he had it from daredevil or he burned the T-shirt, or that it was on, or yeah, and uh, you know when he was on that vengeful craze before mm-hmm. he meets up and is working in construction. So now we have him with it full blown. Here I'm embracing who I am. I am gonna punish you. And, yeah, and it was like he was very meticulous. He was very adamant at. Uh, just basically taking out every individual person up until the last story, like you and I spoke to about before, where you know he was looking specifically for Billy Russo, and he it was his goal just to get him. But on top of that, just like you were saying before, uh, he was uh, trying to avoid the computers, everything that Micro has, because everything that's in those computers is basically all evidence against Billy and everybody else who's in government that is corrupt and he's trying to avoid have any of that because all that information is sacred to him he needs to bring that out that information has to get out to people not just to uh redeem (coughs) himself but uh to redeem micro as well 
So, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where he was out there for a reason and for a cause. And, you know, you could see the Punisher at its true aspect, you know, as what we've seen in the comic. And to me, yeah. those, those, that last 15 to 20 minutes, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I, was a little, I was a kid in a candy store. Yeah. Oh, it was it was like I said, it was great. Everything everything was from the just all the different attacks to the different ways he was he was killing them and the different things he was doing. Everything was was just very. Yeah, it was just really well done. And, and John Bernthal pulled it off uh, really well. He, he looked to me like he was a natural uh, using those those that stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, we have a we've got a, we had another whole episode where we have uh, no Curtis and no Karen. Yep. So we don't we don't know what's going on with them at this at this point. Um, is there's one question that I, I thought of this week that I don't know if we've discussed is the fact that isn't in the comic books isn't his real name is Castiglione and then he changes it to Castle when he becomes the Punisher. Yes. Okay. So they and they kind of just they kind of just reversed it in yep. the sh- for the show. Well, yeah, but it was. Uh... You have to realize there was so many iterations of the Punisher at that point mm-hmm. in the comics. Okay. So, you know, you had several all the way from, like, what, the 70s all the way yeah. into Yeah, oh, it's 90s. been around for, yeah, 70, 70, I can't remember. I, I remember seeing it just recently when it was that first Spider-Man appearance was in the 70s, yeah. Yeah, so he had so many iterations and so many versions of that particular character and it's still considered Frank Castle. Yeah. So, you know, honestly, uh, it's like, what else can you do? So I think it's just the, the Marvel team and uh, Netflix team and the writers and them just utilizing what they have just to make it work. Right. So, well, you know, if they reversed it, it, it's perfect, you know. Yeah. Oh, no, no I, wasn't, I wasn't complaining. I was just trying to make sure I remember it uh, correctly. It's kind of like he's, he's one of the few characters, kind of like Iron Man, kind of like Nick Fury, uh, to where everyone knows that, that Iron Man is Tony Stark. Everyone knows that Nick Fury is the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. It, you know, there's not really a secret identity there for for those guys whereas the the rest of like the avengers and daredevil uh they have actual secret identities and that they're trying to protect uh, frank doesn't really have that he's he's just kind of him well you know so uh unless you look at the tom jane movie with uh john travolta and uh <laughs> he was an undercover person that was in secret ops in the military that was put in and he could change it any will and you know uh, right but i just i just mean in in general the character has been has not it's it's never really been there's never really been a time when when the two weren't synonymous oh yeah you know the, yeah. the punisher's always been wanted by the pretty much always been wanted by the police always had you know uh out there so uh, and had to work in in secret kind of thing and like it's different for tony stark as iron man but yet everyone knows when they see iron man that's oh more tony than likely stark. that's yeah more <laughs> yeah. than likely that's tony stark yeah um so so that's it's an interesting i just i just was was trying to think of how many characters in the marvel universe that are like that, and I, I haven't watched Jessica Jones yet, but I know she doesn't really have a a secret identity or a, or a super identity. Maybe is a better way of putting it. She doesn't. She's just her, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, we're at, and like Luke Cage is kind Luke of, Cage. I'm not sure. <laughs> Luke yeah. Cage is Luke Cage. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, that's the whole thing. Uh, between those, uh, kind of like Dan- Danny Rand is known as the Iron Fist, but he keeps saying, I'm Danny Rand, I'm the Iron Fist. Right. <laughs> but the thing is, is that he's just Danny Rand. Uh, yeah. but uh, the only other person that has uh, some sort of secrecy to him in that Netflix series is uh, Matt Murdock being Daredevil. That's right. the only one out of that whole crew. That's why he always tries to hide his face or his eyes. Yeah. And uh, if you watch The Defenders, he actually puts Jessica Jones' uh, scarf on his head. Oh, really? I'll have to, I'll, I need to watch The Defenders. you got to watch it, things. yeah. It's pretty uh, funny. She goes, "What are you doing?" He goes, oh, "I'm just covering." It. I was like, "She goes, she goes, what do you have to lose?" He goes, "I could lose everything." Right. <laughs> and yeah, and and that's where I, I don't know. It's just an interesting. I think the defenders. I need to watch the defenders probably before I before we watch Jessica Jones, or is it the other way around? Is is her season first? Is her, her season, season one is her season one is first? Uh, okay. So is uh, Daredevil one and two. Uh, Luke Cage and Iron Fist. Uh, okay. uh, Defenders came out really quick, oddly enough. But mm. uh, yeah, you, you could skip over, you know, Iron Fist real yeah. quick. <laughs> yeah. You don't necessarily watch. That's that's what I've heard. So I, I think what I'm going to probably try to do here in the next in the next few weeks is I'm going to uh, try to I might rewatch Daredevil two, Daredevil season two maybe. Uh, I'm definitely going to try to pick up Luke Cage. So I, I've got an idea about who that is. Um, and then once we start with Jessica Jones, I'll try to keep that in, in that perspective and uh, uh, see where we go from there. I'm, I'm enjoying these. I don't know how many other people are enjoying them, but I am. Did you have any other notes? Was that your that was your number one? That was my number one. I didn't really have many other notes, but my, my I, suggestion I, to everybody else would be if you've not watched any of the other Netflix shows that are out there, whether it be Daredevil Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, The Iron Fist, or Defenders, I I would recommend them. You know, I wasn't really a big fan of Iron Fist, but, (laughs) you know, my my feeling is uh, if you watch Jessica Jones Season 1, you'll have a bit of Iron Fist in there. Uh, Not Iron Fist, uh, Luke Cage in there. But there's really, if you're a comic enthusiast, if you just watch Daredevil 1 and 2 and watch Jessica Jones... And a little bit of Iron Fist, you're fine. That that it, it wraps up a lot. Uh, yeah, it's only a few episodes per, and usually it's the mid to late episodes. That way you could keep up, and you get to Defenders, and Defenders is pretty much the ultimate battle at the very end of everything that's going on within that area. And then um, uh, the new season of Jessica Jones it takes up on its own. And it's more history based, which is pretty cool. So, okay. you know, uh, they're they're looking at doing another Luke Cage, and that's going to be coming out soon. And uh, I'm not sure about Iron Fist. Uh, I don't know if they're coming out with another one or not. Yeah, I'm not sure. I I've heard. I know Defenders is is getting a season two, and I I've heard rumors that they're going to do an Iron Fist season two, but I don't know uh, if that's true or not. I, I know I saw. Some brief rumors. It, he, the Iron Fist. Uh, I didn't watch it, but it didn't get as good. It wasn't as as well received as the other the other ones were. So, nah. It honestly, I I think they really needed to do a lot more writing in it. 
Uh, mm-hmm. They they didn't do their research in the the actual character, and constantly coming in going, "Hey, I'm Danny Rand. I'm the artist." <laughs> <laughs> was not really the answer. And Sounds every, like to me. <laughs> a, every episode, it was like, hi, I'm Danny Rand. I'm the Iron Fist. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Uh, how many times are you going like to say this? Game. Sounds like a drinking <laughs> game to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, it's like by the by the end of five episodes, you'd be drunk. <laughs> but, you know, to to me, honestly, I, I prefer the others. Uh, Jessica Jones really appealed to me. Uh, the first season was really, really good. Uh, the second one grows on you. You, if uh, you watched the first one and fell in love with it, that's great. But the second one, you have to give it about six episodes in until you start to grasp everything that's going on. And uh, it, it took me a while because it's been so long since you saw the first season, unless you watch it back to back, or watch that and then go into Defenders. Okay. Well, was there anything new in comic books this week? Not really. Uh, like uh, like I said last time, Oblivion Sun dropped, and uh, it's getting great reviews. I I really enjoyed it. Um, I haven't reread it yet. I I'm, I need to sit down and reread it again. I think uh, just to to try to drink it in a little bit more. Um, it's it's a really cool premise that I'm I'm really interested to see where they where they take it. And uh, according to and I, this is just a bit of a spoiler if you're trying to follow Oblivion's song. Not, it's not really a spoiler. It just gives some information about it. Is that according to the back panel, Kirkman, his notes in the back of the first issue, they've already finished the first 13 yes. issues. So they're already a year ahead of of where they could be. So we are definitely going to have Oblivion song for... 12 issues, 12, 13 issues for sure. And obviously comic books are not like TV shows where if they don't, well, I guess if people stop buying them, they'll stop making them. But he's going to keep writing them as long as people buy them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I knew that ahead of time because when he first brought it up at a Walker Stalker, I actually watched the the actual interview and he states flat out that, you know, um, he gave the premise and what was going on. Uh, I read the comic and I was like, this is actually pretty good. I like it. But the thing was, is that he stated that they already had most of the story written. And he, he actually states in one line saying that actually you'll, you'll find out exactly what happens to that portion of Philadelphia about hmm. maybe the fifth or sixth issue in. Nice. So, which to me is, oh, all right, there's no allusion to this. We we're going to find out why and what the reason was and how this came to be. It's a I was going to say, unlike other issues that he has, like The Walking yeah. Dead, what, why <laughs> right. is there a virus that's killing these people? Oh. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> um, let's see what else. Uh uh, I have not had a chance to rewatch the Walking Dead episode from Sunday night, and I know you're recording on it with Brian tomorrow. Um, what are your – any initial impressions you want to share, or do you want to hear what mine were? Uh, oh, definitely. Uh, my, my feeling was is that uh, you know Brian brought it up uh, last episode of uh, the Walking Dead talk there, 
and he stated that, you know, uh, you know, episode 12 of, out of every season, it's either hit or miss. It's either really bad or really good or <laughs> in between. Well, this one was extremely good, and both me and Brian came up with the idea of this was a great freaking episode of The Walking I, I really Dead. Enjoyed, yeah, <laughs> I, I I really enjoyed it. I, I can't. I was telling my coworker today, it's probably going to be one of the the few ones that I go back and rewatch again uh, before next week, before giving any feedback to to anybody because I just. I want to see more of it. And that doesn't happen to me a lot. A lot of times I'll watch the episode once, throw out my my ideas, my thoughts on it, and then I'm done until the next Sunday. Um, this one I definitely want to watch it again. I, I really liked it. I, I enjoyed the twist. I had no clue. I was completely taken aback when Jadis showed up at the end. Um the the new the new character of Georgie or whatever her name is that was completely out of the blue I didn't see anything like that coming I'm assuming there's nothing like that in the comics no <laughs> yeah no. Uh, I uh, I really that fight between Rick and Negan the the only the only point of kind of consternation I have with it and uh, this is I saw some of this on the the Facebook group was uh he just he shoots he wastes a lot of ammo and he's a stormtrooper yeah he just <laughs> he just shoots and i'm like wait why is it that some show some episodes you're like very conservative with your ammo and you're very uh meticulous in your shots you're very particular and you make your shots and you're a really good shot and then yet except with negan he has that what was it i heard somebody say earlier in the season uh negan has that plot armor that you just can't shoot him <laughs> you know uh, uh so i i really would love I, part of me and I, this isn't necessarily a projection because i don't think it's going to happen i would love for the show to just completely go out of left field and have jadis just put him on his knees, put a bullet in his head and be done with it. And then slap his body to the hood of her car and drive around with it, you know, um, like a deer. Just, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Just put one in his forehead, dry or, or cut his head off and mount it on, on the hood of your automobile. Do it. You know, let's do this escape from New York style. Um, you know, um, mount it on the hood of your Cadillac and, and ride around town. And Rick's um, screaming out, I'm the Duke of New York. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you're a number one. <laughs> anyway, I want to rewatch that movie now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, I love that. That's one of my top uh, ten movies. Oh, I love it. That's uh, one of it's, it's up there, yeah. That and the Warriors. Uh, yeah, yeah, I just watched that the other night. And matter of fact, it was on cable, and uh, I rewatched it uh, the other night. I really... That's one of those ones that I just I can pop it in any time, watch a little bit of it, and then put it away, watch it again, and uh, the Warriors. Um, <laughs> what was I just watching? Oh, oh, I just rewatched the first season of Happen Leonard, which is a show that was on uh, Sundance TV. Yeah, and in the in the first season, uh, Jimmy Simpson, the guy who's on in Westworld, uh, he plays a villain in season one, and he does a couple of quotes from the warriors in there 
Uh, yeah, he says he says stuff like, "Can you dig it?" Uh, and he goes, "Come on, warriors, nobody." And uh, there's one point where he's uh, attacking this house, and he says, "Hap and Leonard, come out and play." And, uh, so uh, it's, it's a uh, Hap and Leonard. If, Kevin, if you're not watching Hap and Leonard, it's a it's on Hulu. Not Hulu. Is it Hulu? One of them. One of them. Hulu or. Uh, Amazon. One of them has the first two seasons. Actually, no, Netflix. Netflix has the first two seasons. They're only six episodes a piece. They're hour long episodes. They're great. Oh, uh, cool. And the the current episode is is uh, airing on Sundance. But uh, uh, it's okay. good stuff. So, uh, so all right. I I I'm going to thank everybody out there that's been following uh, Panels to Pixels on Facebook. Uh, we got a bunch of likes. Uh, I've been boosting uh, the actual Facebook page, and a lot of people have been liking what I've been boosting. Nice. I saw that. I've seen it come up a lot. So, Yeah, so uh, with Kevin Smith and wishing him a well recovery, and with The Walking Dead being actually in the theaters for its season finale and into Fear the Walking Dead's season opener for the fourth season. So I I, I got my ticket. So I'm going to go to my local U... uh, AMC. I keep saying UA because I'm thinking I'm in, I'm in Staten Island still, but I'm not. Uh, but uh, I uh, work out of Danbury, Connecticut, so it's right across from where I work in Danbury, uh, the the actual cinema. So I wound up buying it, and for twelve bucks, come on, you you get more than two hours of a show. It's uncut, and you don't have commercials. Oh, very cool. Yeah, unfortunately, I will not be there for the Z-Head feed. So I I, I will not be able to have my phone on me. So, But I'm going to enjoy at least watching the whole – those two episodes back to back and getting to see it on the big screen. Now, mind you, it's with a bunch of people, but who cares? You know, to me, I'm getting to see a show that we love and we get to see it on a big screen. Now, we probably won't see uh, a Walking Dead movie, but in this case, I think this will be better, far better, than the Inhumans being on the actual (laughs) screens uh, on AMC, which they did, and it was terrible from what I was told, and you got exactly what you saw on the TV. So, to me, I'm hoping this will be great, and hopefully they'll have it a little bit unedited. Um, hoping for at least a few f bombs, yeah, because <laughs> we've been missing out on that over the past year. Uh, we've only got maybe one or two, and that was it. So that, yeah, did that's we have any? Like. I don't. Did we have any in this season? I'm Not trying really. to think. I don't no. think so. Um, we we had we had some shits, but not uh, um, not the big one. So okay. Yeah, I wish I could go. You know, unfortunately for me, the the nearest theater I got to drive halfway across town or or thirty forty minutes across town to get to a good theater. So it's not not worth it for me to to try to brave that. Uh, Actually, I, by this time, by this time next year, though, there should be a Warren within about five miles of where I live. So that's going to be really nice having a Warren theater that close. Well, you'll laugh at this. Danbury is about a good 40 minutes away from my house, so I'm used to driving. <laughs> Anywhere I live up here, 
uh, whether I go to Poughkeepsie or I go to Danbury or anything, everything is about 45 minutes away for me. I don't, so. I don't envy you that at all. <laughs> I, I, uh, I grew up in California and I knew of people doing, you know, one, two hour commutes both ways. So four hours of their life being spent in the car every day. And, uh, I made a, made a decision back then that no matter where I live, no matter where I'm stationed at, I want to live close. So <laughs> if that were the case, then I would have lived in New York still, but you know, New York city, but, uh, a lot of my friends, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Almost- a lot of my friends are like looking like we need to move up by you. I'm like, well, you do realize it's about half hour to an hour's worth commute via vehicle and you have to have a vehicle. And they're yeah. like, well, we're used to that because we're constantly commuting and, I did that. I did an hour and a half commute from Staten Island Oof. to Manhattan every yeah. day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Back, yeah. I'm, back I'm out. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm used to that. But to me, it's like sitting in a car. I can just put on, you know, I, I listen to podcasts. I listen to music. and I don't care. Yeah. I'm okay. But yeah, but yeah that, that, that was my little thing. It's like uh, I'm thanking everybody out, that's out there in Facebook land that actually uh, liked our page. And hopefully they'll actually contribute and actually add on some stuff because I'm more than willing to give out to anybody who wants to contribute and just add to the page itself. Yeah. Uh, if you guys have any ideas, <laughs> I checked the email and I we don't get any email. So, uh, you know, if you guys really want to email us, it's panels2pixels1 at gmail.com. So just email us, man. You know, we're we're more than willing to accept your your feedback if you really are interested. We want everybody to write in your thoughts, what you would like to hear. Uh, obviously, once me and Steve wrap up the Punisher, we're going to move on to other things. And uh, if you have any feedback, it's more than appreciated, man. So, Absolutely. So, but uh, uh, obviously, I know you want to get into uh, Jessica Jones and a few others. <clears throat> like uh, like we were saying before uh, the last podcast, we could actually do it uh, two episodes at a time. That way, we're not extending or extending out the actual podcast so that you have to wait so long to hear. Um, other podcasters have been doing that with certain seasons of shows like Westworld and whatnot. I'm looking to do that so that way, uh, you know, everybody's already binged watched or seen all these things and absolutely uh, yeah and some sometimes if you do watch these shows they do go by fast uh we'll take the time to actually do that so we could actually do a podcast specifically about two episodes per that way uh we're not concentrating and spending a few months <laughs> on, yeah. a, on a specific uh uh show and in, in itself to me uh honestly and and I'd like. I would like. Actually, personally, like to get back to uh, the other stuff that's out there um, that nobody really talks about. You know, I mentioned it earlier. I wanted to do like the old Captain America TV movie, or uh, possibly the old Spider-Man TV series from the '70s. Just get an idea of breakdown. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like that stuff. But yeah, you know, as corny and cheesy as it was, that's all we had at the time. And my feeling is, I grew up with that stuff. You know, I'm not really going out there and I'm not going to say, Hey, let's do a whole podcast about the original greatest American hero. Uh, <laughs> you know, I love that as a kid. Honestly, I, I watched every week and, you know, 
I love David Perret and uh, and everybody else in that cast. Yeah, you know, Robert Culp. And to me, honest, uh, honestly, I I really love talking about those things. It just brings me back to being a kid again. So, and that's really what this boils down to is we're all kids at heart. We all love this stuff. And now, mind you, a lot of the Netflix stuff that's going on is a little bit more adult, and uh, we all hold something dear to it because we all can relate to something within it. Um, I, I thought The Punisher was a perfect one to start off with because there was so much to talk about, especially what was going on in war, especially with PTSD and everything else when it comes to war. And a lot of these guys don't, you know, get that credit and where credit's due, where they're helping us out. You know, I thought Frank Castle was a perfect vessel or a perfect uh, look at that and somebody who wants to do the right where they were wronged or where they were doing the wrong because they were misled. And then yeah. they're trying to do the right by it. So, you know, th- that was my idea of starting it off with this one particularly. So, For sure. So. Well, and I think that it's it's great to do to do like that, and like if, when we do Jessica Jones, to do two episodes a piece because it, it has been out there for so long, it has been binged by so many people, and it's it's all available. It's not like if we were doing a Walking Dead podcast where you only get one episode a week, you know, and you you have a time constraint as far as that you have to get your feedback in within a certain amount of time. If you don't get your podcast out before the next episode airs, we've well, already been missed. And exactly. uh, and so so yeah I I, uh, I don't mind doing it that way um, I enjoy it I hope you I, I'm okay as a co-host and uh, we'll continue on oh definitely uh, you know right now you've been the consummate co-host that I needed <laughs> so I'll say that flat out and everybody else who could hear it uh, we've had Evelina Evelina will definitely be on eventually uh, it's just a matter of uh, coordinating time and I know that you wouldn't mind Evelina being on as well no he's great. And uh, same thing with Kristen. Uh, Kristen's kind of busy with a lot of things, uh, with game of microphones and everything mm-hmm. else. So, but uh, I, I do enjoy and having everybody else on. I would love to have Rima on as well. Well, uh, and of course, Mark, you are busy with Walking Dead talk through on Golden Spiral Media. So you've got your own podcast that you're trying to put out there each week as well. Uh, well, you know, I, it's funny. Needless to say. Uh, that is a vessel unto itself. Uh, that's thanks to Brian Malosh. He actually does a lot of the work, and I've been helping out as best I can. Um, you know, uh, you have to give credit where credit's due. He built that podcast. I'm just a co-host, but I give my uh, little bit to it, and I help out as best I can. So uh, there's only so much I can do. So uh, that that's his vessel. And uh, I'm just the uh, the mate on the ship, as they call it. You know, <laughs> kind of like me, kind of like me with you. So. Uh, not really, you know, dude. You 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 actually take a lot, and I I got to give you where credit's due. You know, you do a lot. You actually are more uh, in uh, incisive about what's going on in the actual episode, and you well, I have appreciate you're, you're clued in more into it than I am. Me, I just look at it as a kid, as a, as a fan loving it and uh, and like i always said i i value everybody who comes on to this podcast as a voice and i'm just the vessel and you guys are just there and you're taking the reins and that's really what it boils down to uh, for anybody that wants to come on 
So, uh, like I said, if uh, you're going to be here, and uh, hopefully Avelina will be on eventually, and a few other people, uh, the more the merrier. Uh, last week was perfect. Uh, you know, between the three of us, I think we had a lot to say, <laughs> and that will be coming out soon. Excellent. All right. So uh, with that, we'll uh, we'll say good night. Good night. Good night, everybody.